you mind sitting right next to people? Is that bothering you? Is that bothering you? Because it would drive me crazy. But I'm up here. So <laughs> this is, I think this is why I talk about it so much is because I get claustrophobic looking at some of you. Um, it's different if it's like your family, right? If it's just your family sitting on the seat. But when you got two families together that probably don't even know each other that well, um, it's great because you're getting to know each other that well, but it makes me nervous when I see it. And so we, we'll let you know. There's not a, we're not rushing to do this. We're going to go as long as we possibly can. And we are trying to figure out some things because we use the school over here for classes and different things um, uh, during our, our two services. And so they are not allowing anybody. We contacted them again this week just to make sure they're not allowing anybody to come into the school, extra groups to come into the school uh, until further notice, which which the last we heard was through the end of the year. And so we're actually looking at some things like getting some um, um, tents to put up outside uh, to have classes in, in that, right? And it'll probably be like the youth. <laughs> and we, won't, we won't make a bunch of adults do that. Um, and, and nobody really cares about the teenagers anyway. So we're just going to put them out in a tent or something. I don't know. We're actually looking at some of this kind of stuff. We've come across some really good ideas. But we just, don't, we just don't have the space anymore, and we can't get to the point of building yet. We obviously know that we don't have the, the finances to do it. Although, uh, two weeks ago, um, Amy or Diana, one of them, I think it was Amy mentioned to me that uh, financially, we have, so we still owe, I, I'm probably going to get these numbers wrong, okay? But I think we still owe somewhere around $450,000 on our property and our building here and everything. With, with all of the assets that we have, uh, we have more money than we do debt now. <clears throat> is, is Amy even here? Amy, are you here? I, I, I think I'm pretty sure that's what she said. <laughs> so, so if it's not, thank you for the applause anyway. But I, I know that's what she said. We have, more, uh, we have more assets. We have more money than we do the debt. So that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. Now, don't get me wrong. We can't pay the debt off with that. Because I like to get paid. So let's just make sure we're clear about that. Um, I, I did want to mention some things that are still happening. I do try to keep us up to date on some of the stuff that's going on. And I do believe that it's fitting into uh, everything that I've been speaking the last, um, definitely last seven weeks and these, la- these next few weeks coming up. I'll explain this in a little bit more detail. But many of you have probably have seen the video going around of the uh, group of doctors that got together and made a video saying uh, they were attacking a bunch of the stuff that was coming from the government and a bunch of the statistics and all the things, and they were saying that um, this really truly is not a health issue. It's a political issue. Did anybody see that? There's about 10 or 12 doctors that did that. Okay, if you haven't seen that, um, it's very difficult to see it because everywhere that it gets posted, it gets banned. Now, think about this. One of the major things that they say in that is um, hydrochloroquine, that 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 drug really does work. I'm going to talk about that in a second. That that drug really does work and that we just need to give it to people. And all these other doctors, including Dr. Fauci, who has patents on the... the, vaccine that I'm going to need a little help this morning, apparently. I don't know where my brain is. Uh, he's got a lot of patents on these uh, vaccines that are going out, as, as does Bill Gates, by the way. But they, they only want the vaccine. So we can't use this chloroquine. It's not good, right? 
Well, these videos are getting banned because these doctors are saying, now they're not just saying this out in the air. They're saying we have tried this on hundreds and hundreds of patients. And it works 100% of the time. 100% of the time this drug works. And now their video gets banned from every group out there. And you say, well, those are private companies like Facebook and, and YouTube and all that stuff, and it gets banned. So, um, and I do believe in the free market. Don't get me wrong. If they want to ban, let them ban their free company. I mean, they're an independently run company, except that these companies also get a lot of money from the government. Well, if you start taking from money from the government, you're no longer an individual independent company. You shouldn't be able to ban stuff. If you want to run by yourself, run it by yourself. That's why if you, this is just my suggestion, if you find any companies that do anything like Facebook or YouTube or anything that are not owned by those people, start using those companies. Um, it's, it's, it's a huge mountain to climb, but, but still. So, so then, on top of that, this is another thing that, let me explain this to you. My in-laws have been missionaries to Africa for 30 years. They've been taking hydrochloroquine for 30 years. 30 years they've been taking it. This horribly dangerous drug. They've been taking it because why? Africa is full of malaria, and it's a malaria medicine. And the way it attacks malaria is the same way that it attacks COVID. Okay? It, and there's a, oh, here's another thing. If you want to see the videos of the doctors, okay, go to PragerU.com. They have a copy of it there, and they can, you can look at that copy of that, Okay. This is, this is legitimate scientific medicine that has been proven over and over and over and over, but it gets banned because it's not the narrative, okay? So here's another thing. My in-laws have mentioned this, and they said, you know, we started noticing a while back that none of our missionaries in Africa have had any problems with COVID at all. doesn't matter their age, doesn't matter their health, doesn't matter anything, because they've been taking chlorohoxyrochicon for 30-something years, 30-something years I've been doing this, and they have found, up that it, they found that it builds up an immunity in your system to all this kind of stuff. Here's another statistic. Just casually look across the world and, and study statistics coming out of Africa of how many people have COVID coming out of Africa. Like, min, like minim, minuscule numbers, almost non-recordable numbers coming out of Africa. Why? Because they've all been taken that drug for years. That drug that they talk about. So here's the thing with this. Guys, you understand, again, I keep saying this stuff. I keep saying this stuff. But we are in a battle, but it's not against the government. The government are the players. They are the players right now, and so are health organizations and everything else. But they are just part of the mix. This is a demonic thing. This is Satan. He, is, he feels like the gloves are off, and he is gaining control and power like you wouldn't believe. I'll tell you a couple other things that have been happening. And this, when I say this, I have people sometimes that will email me during the week or other pastors that have listened to this and say, well, you're just assuming that. You don't know anybody. I know people that have had this. I'm not making this stuff up. I don't ever make anything up here. I have never, ever, ever made anything up in my entire life. So, <laughs> or exaggerated. It's not who I am. But, uh, but I really don't make this stuff up. We are seeing people, and this is all over the country, but we know right here in our church, we know this for sure because of people right here in our church. I'm not making this up. 
People that have either gone to the doctor or made an appointment with the doctor to get tested for COVID and did not get tested for whatever reason. They waited too long in line, got tired. Um, they just didn't go to the appointment, but they had already signed everything up, whatever the case is. And they get an email or a letter a couple weeks later saying that they have been found positive for COVID. They didn't get tested, but they have found to be positive for COVID. Guys, I'm not making this stuff up. So, yeah, it's a far-reaching test. It's an invasive test. Guys, this is a battle that we're, we are in a fight. This is, this is craziness. Now, now, why am I saying all of this? The reason that I, that I keep talking about this every single week is because this seems to be just a health issue or it seems to be a political issue or whatever. But Satan is trying to manipulate people's thinking, their hearts, and their minds. What I talked about last week, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, the, of wisdom. Satan does not want you to have God wisdom, and he does not want you to fear God. He wants you to fear everything else. When you begin to fear God, you begin to tear down all the stuff that Satan tries to give fear to your life. Because fear for God is more than just scared, although I do include that because the Scripture says that. But it's, it's humbleness. It's, it's submission to God. When you submit to God, you have the potential for starting wisdom. That's where wisdom begins. It's where it begins to grow. Okay, that's where, it's, that's where it starts birthing. This is where we have to stay focused on. Satan is trying to destroy us, and I believe the reason that he's doing all this is because he is, he is heading us toward end times. Now, now, that's not the right way to say it. We are heading toward end times, and Satan thinks he's doing it. That's, that's the correct way to say that. Satan thinks he's winning this battle. I had somebody ask me a couple weeks ago, where do you start when it comes to truth? There's so much information out there, so much stuff. Where do you start when it comes to truth? Well, here's just a good starting point, okay? This is just natural thinking, and I've been doing this for years. I don't know if this, I think it started because the Holy Spirit put this in my heart, but, but I know it's grown into that. Here's where I start. If anybody that is on the extreme liberal side, now don't confuse that with Republican and Democrats, all right? I don't think all Democrats are extremely liberal. I don't think they're leftists, all right? I, I don't. I think there are good Democrats out there. I haven't met any, but there are good Democrats out there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But here's the thing. When you're going into the far liberal leftist mentality, there's certain things that you know are part of the foundation of that. If you believe as a core of your existence, and you fight for this, the murder of unborn babies, you are in the system. You are in the demonic system. Now, I'm not saying you're possessed, you're demonic, whatever, but you are buying into the system that Satan is building, and he's building on the blood of babies, okay? So, so you're in the system, if you believe in a complete perversion of human sexuality to the point where there are no rules, you make up all your own rules, and it doesn't matter what God says, you are part of the systems. Those two are hand-in-hand in, hand in leftist mentality. Now, why am I saying that? Because that's where the father of lies, Satan, is starting his seeds growing. Fear of God is where he starts his seeds growing. Satan starts it in sin and lies. And when you're in the camp of sin and lies, then you know that what is coming out of that camp starts in lies. Why am I saying that? When you're looking at that, and it's easy to do this across the country right now, when you're looking at, at uh, strong liberal leftist agendas, including our media and stuff like that, anything that comes from them is starting in a, in a beginning point of lies. 
Even if some of the stuff they say is truthful, it is starting. And Jesus even said it to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, your, your father is a liar. That's why he, what he was saying was, truth doesn't come from you. You don't even recognize it when you see it because you are so caught up in the system of it. So that's a good starting point. If you see it on the media, specifically visual media, television media, it started in lies. And people will say, well, what about Fox News? Let me give you my opinion because you asked. Um, I think Fox News used to be kind of conservative, kind of. Now, some people say, well, that was the conservative. No, 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 no. Do you want, do you want, conservative, uh, do you want conservative media? Anybody here want conservative media? I'll give you two great sources. I mean hardcore conservative media. Go to the Epoch Times, look at that, and listen to Rush Limbaugh. That's conservative. Fox News is no longer conservative, and they were just bought by Disney recently. I know, right? Who knew that 30 years ago when you said Disney, people were going to go, oh. We thought of mouses and beauties and stuff like that. But so, so if it comes from that base... The founder, I'm not saying a, a political base. I'm saying an ideological, ideological base. If it starts there, it starts in lies. That's one of the easiest ways. To, so why am I saying that? If it comes from there, assume that that is the lie, and you have to look for the truth, which is going to be the opposite. Look for the opposite, and you'll begin to get to truth, wherever that is. That's, that's an easy way to do this. Now, I'm speaking about the rapture this week. Next week, I'm speaking about the rapture again, but I'm going to look at um, Jesus being the bride, us being the, um, uh, Jesus being the groom, us being the bride, the church being the bride, and I'm going to show you some stuff having to do with weddings, with Jewish weddings specifically, and then, because it's very um, eschatological, and then I'm going to, uh, the third week, I'm going to show you how the uh, festival of trumpets fits all into this. You'll see it all through the thing. If you know any about, any about this, You'll see it building through the weeks. But I'm going to make sure by the end of this three weeks you have a very, and this is like more of an apologetic approach. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure you have a very systematic understanding of what is happening in our, what I believe to be our near future. Now, part of the reason I'm doing it right now is because, um, and I'll explain this very quickly in the very beginning of this. We've had this mentality in the church forever because Jesus himself said, you will not know the day or the hour that the rapture is going to take place, right? You won't know that. But he does say you'll know the time frame. You'll know the season. You'll know when it's happening. You just can't say it's Tuesday. But you'll know basically when it's happening. And that's something that has escaped the church for a long time now, is we forget that you do know when. He says it. Paul teaches about it so that you will know when, but not the day or the hour. Not exactly. The first time I ever began to think about this was my senior year in high school. It was 1988. Some of you are like, did not know you're that old. You look so much younger. But this guy came out with a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Anybody remember that book? Some of you younger people are like, really? He wrote that book and got away with it? Yeah, and the church bought it. The church bought it hook, line, and sinker. Just like we buy everything else today. The church just goes along with whatever personality is going on. It can be in the local church. It's what I talked about a couple weeks ago. In the church where people are trying to deceive you. 
Guys, people are trying to deceive you. You need to be a mature Christian and not be deceived. The Antichrist is going to try to deceive you. You need to be a mature Christian and not be deceived. Hollywood personalities, why do, we, why do we gravitate toward them so much? We do the same thing in the church. Somebody writes a few books and becomes a famous individual, and we gravitate toward, we gravitate toward them. It's sad. Because why? We serve one king, Jesus. That's it. You don't, you don't serve people. You serve Jesus. This is why I'm talking about the rapture. This is why I'm talking about this kind of stuff. Because at the end of the day, we better be ready. We better have our eyes open. We better be paying attention. Because Jesus does tell us, you're going to know when. You're going to see it. I'm not going to read all the scriptures. But one of them I'm not going to read, but I'll just tell you, is um, that he says, just like, and this is something I learned when I was in the Navy. You can look at the horizon out on the ocean. You can tell if a storm's coming the next day. And Jesus says, when you see that storm coming, you're going to know, just like that, you're going to know that the Son of Man is coming. All right? We're going to look at some of this. So, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to go through some big chunks of Scripture because they, work, they, they all work together. And I don't want you to think that I'm kind of pulling stuff out to, to build an apologetic uh, approach. We're going to look at, at context. We're going to look at all this stuff. You understand it's very important that you be ready for when Jesus comes back. Now, I'm going to show you what I believe is to be what I call pre-tribulation rapture. I believe the rapture happens before the tribulation. And I believe that very strongly, and I'm going to continue to believe that until the tribulation starts. And then I'm going to switch to mid-tribulation rapture, or what's called pre-wrath rapture, pre-wrath rapture, Okay. And after the three-and-a-half-year point, I'm going to switch to a post-tribulation rapture. Okay? I believe very strongly in pre-tribulation. I'm going to show you why. I'm going to show you some scriptures. But part of the reason I say that is if you're in here right now and you're saying, I just don't believe in pre-tribulation rapture. I believe in rapture. Now, here's the thing. You need to believe in rapture. I'm going to think, I think I'm going to prove that unequivocally this morning. Okay? There is such a thing as a rapture. You can't get away from that. That's, that is going to happen. But if you say, well, I'm a mid or a post, that's fine. I believe post is, makes no sense. It has no scriptural basis. But after three and a half years into the tribulation, I'll go with you on it. But if you say I'm a mid or a post, that's fine. I, I don't want ha- to debate that. That's not my point. I believe in pre-tribulation. I'm going to show you why. I don't want to debate it because it doesn't matter. It's going to happen one way or the other. Let's not worry about that necessarily, but the reason I preach pre-tribulation is because I believe that Scripture shows that, and so I feel an obligation to preach that, all right? Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Have you ever been to a funeral with somebody that is not a Christian and you knew they weren't a Christian? It feels totally different than a funeral with a Christian that had passed away, right? I... Uh, we did my mother's funeral a few weeks ago here. Now, yes, I did get very emotional. I broke down. I couldn't talk during the funeral. Didn't see that coming, by the way. But it wasn't because I was worried or had no hope or whatever. I know where my mom is. I know she's in heaven. I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt that she's in heaven. You're just going to miss them here on earth, right? But that's different than saying there's a sadness or a morose thing going on in my mind or my spirit because they're dead. That's not That was not the case with my mom. I I was not upset because she was dead. I'm upset because we were planning on having some time with her when she moved to Springs. 
Lynn and I had stuff we had already talked about and planned, and we were gonna we were gonna enjoy life together. That's the sad part. Where she is is with Jesus. And I've said this at many funerals. You understand, if 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 she had the opportunity right now, and I'm gonna use my mom. I'm, I was about to say people that have died, but I'll use my mom. If if some reason Jesus said to her right now, um, Pat, you could go back to Earth for a few years if you want to. You know, cause cause dad and and the kids, and you can go back to her. Do you think she would say yes? She's in the presence of Jesus. She'll say, they'll be here in a little bit. Because you're with the king. You're with the ruler of everything. And it so transcends anything on this earth. We have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now, that's a very important statement because he's not talking about the rapture there. When Jesus comes back, he's going to bring those who have died with him. That's a different thing. You'll see this. Okay? That's called the second coming. That's not the rapture. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living... Listen to this. We who are still living when the Lord returns, the sentence above it talks about the dead. This is not the same group of people. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. We don't get to go first. If you're alive, you don't get to go first. Who gets to go first? The dead. Okay? Now, it's really quick, so don't sweat that one, all right? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. I'm going to talk about that strongly in two weeks. Um, but a little, I'm going to touch on a little bit next week, but I'm going to talk about it a whole lot in two weeks. This whole, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a shout, voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. Okay? First, the believers who have died. Now, that's important, the believers who have died. I probably will talk about this in two weeks, maybe just to, just to address it. But Revelation 20 says that the believers, I'm sorry, the dead that were not believers stay in the grave until the judgment. Did you know that? A lot of Christians miss that. It says that the believers stay in the grave until the judgment. You know when the judgment is? Not the judgment seat of Christ, but the great white throne of judgment. That's after the millennial reign. That's a 1,000 plus 7 plus however long between now and then. Okay? The believers, where was I? First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Now, guys, there's no way you can get away from the fact that this is a rapture. The believers that are in the grave rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive... And remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is a rapture. You can't get away from a rapture. Now, I don't meet a, I don't meet a lot of Christians nowadays that don't believe in a rapture. But years ago, I, I did. When I was at Denver Seminary, it's a conservative Baptist seminary, I met a lot of people that don't believe in a rapture. Well, what is this then? There are living people on this earth that are taken up. The graves open, and people are pulled out of the graves, and then we have to wait a split second for them to go first, and then we follow. Now, I think it's kind of cool that we have to wait, 
just a second because I think we're going to cognitively recognize what's happening. I think it's going to be literally split second instantaneously, but I think we're going to immediately recognize what's happening. And here's something, and I, I can't necessarily prove this except for one other place in Scripture that I've seen this. I believe also that the people that are on the earth that are not following Jesus, they're alive, but they're not following Jesus, I think they're going to see the graves split open and people go up. (laughs) That would be cool, though, right? Now, if you say, where are you getting that from? I do have a reason why I believe this. Matthew chapter 25, I believe it is, 25. 25. Uh, Matthew 25, it talks about after Jesus uh, died on the cross and while he was being resurrected, it says the graves all over the city opened up and the saints of old walked through the streets. And to the point where the reason it says saints of old is because the people recognized them as that. Elijah comes walking down the road and everybody just knew that's Elijah. Not Elijah, bad example. He didn't die. <laughs> Scratch that on the video. I don't, I don't want to look stupid. Moses. Let's use Moses. Moses died. See, half of you didn't even catch it. You're like, yes, praise it. What? What? Huh? <laughs> it says that the graves open and they walk through the streets. I think the same thing's going to happen. The graves are going to open and I think people are going to see it happen. You, you talk about a day of the dead or a the purge or weird things like that. This is going to be with any movie out there because it's going to happen and people are going to see it. And I think it's going to scare people to death. And here's a good thing with them. They're going to recognize the rapture happened and they didn't make it. And hopefully it scares them enough to get them on their knees at that point. Because the, the main reason that people would recognize what's going on is because somewhere in their past they were taught that. Right? Okay. First, the believers who had died. Then, together with them, those who are still alive, will, will, when their remains are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. See, this is a good thing. Once you're raptured, you're with Jesus. The part of the reason I say that is because I get people asking the questions, well, what about the Christians that are in the millennial reign? Because if you get raptured, you come back during the second coming. You go into the millennial reign after the battle of Armageddon. You go into the millennial reign with Jesus Christ, and you're ruling and reigning with him on this earth. And I've had people ask, well, what about that? Are you going to, can you get away from the Lord? Can you backslide at that point? You've been married to Jesus now. The, you, you, I, I heard a guy the other day talking about how we're now, we're all married to Jesus right now. You're not married to Jesus yet. You're engaged to Jesus. That's all. You're not married. You don't get married until he pulls you to him. I'm talking about that next week. Okay, but you you uh, at that point you're married to Jesus and during the millennial reign you're not gonna you're not gonna walk away from him, all right? For the Lord Himself, I'm already past that. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. I'm having to hold this like this because my other mic is still broken. So um, it's because I'm the fixer of it. <clears throat> now the reason it's messed up is because. Uh, uh, radio waves have changed in our country right now, and they're, and they're moving. They're moving along the spectrum of frequency to the point where a lot of wireless mics like this are now in that frequency, and it's now we are banned from using this, and you have to move into a different frequency with wireless mics. You didn't know all that stuff, but it's happening. Oh, government, am I right? 
So we have to get we have to get new microphones with different frequencies. That's why that one doesn't work right now. So verse 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now concerning how and when all this happens, dear brothers and sisters, we don't, need, we don't really need to write you. See, to me, that's a very interesting sentence, the way that Paul says that. Because if he doesn't write this, we don't know what he's talking about. But everybody then already knew what he was talking about. What he's talking about is when Jesus is going to come back. You will know when it's happening. And he says, we don't even, you already guys already all know this, so we didn't need to write it but I'm going to write it anyway. And I'm saying thank you for writing it because I don't know. And I haven't been taught all the time in the right way with this. I'll show you something in a minute that I was taught when I was a kid, and it was a very popular thing uh, in eschatology, but it's not true. Okay? Verse 2, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. So we know it's going to be unexpectedly, and we know it's going to be suddenly. Okay? But it will not be unknown to us. Those are two different things. We will know it's about to happen, but it's going to be suddenly and unexpectedly. But you aren't in the dark about these things. Dear brothers and sisters, you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. It will come suddenly, and it will come unexpectedly, but you won't be surprised. You say, how does all that work together? It's simple. You won't know the moment. You won't know the minute. It will surprise you. It will startle you. But this is, this is the way I watch. I, my wife does not like to watch suspenseful movies. It doesn't matter how suspenseful they appear to be to someone else. But for her, she won't watch a suspenseful movie. It's not like scary movies. It's suspense. She doesn't want something to happen quickly. She doesn't want it to happen. And she knows it's about to happen. Why? Because you can watch any movie nowadays and you know when it's about to happen. The music is building, all this kind of stuff. The characters are doing, it's getting all exchanges, and you know it's about to happen. And she will cover her eyes and put her head down in the middle of a movie theater. And we paid $12 to go see She'll put her head down. I'll tell you, Linda, Linda, watch. It's about it. No, I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to. And then everybody goes, oh. And then she goes. You know it's coming, but you just don't want to be ex- ex- uh, the unexpectedness of it to happen. But guys, you know it's coming. You know it's coming. He tells us this, and he's going to tell us how. For you are children of the light and of the day. We, belong, we don't belong to the darkness and the night. And that's what I was talking about earlier. When you, are, when you have the fear of the Lord, you're going to be starting. Your starting point is in truth. When you are walking in the darkness, your starting point is the lie. That's why sin can be so deceptive. Because sin can get into your head, your heart, your spirit, your mind, and convince you that whatever anybody else out there is saying is truth. And it can be the, the, the biggest lie ever. Because sin will take us into that arena. Part of the reason I believe that the church is struggling so much right now, getting their heads right, getting their their attitudes right, and, and speaking truth, standing in truth, and walking forward in truth is because they have been playing around with the darkness for so long, and they don't even know it. I think some of them know it. I, I, I've watched this for years where... where personalities, and again, we're so personality-driven, so personality-driven, that, that some pastor, because they pastor a big church or something, people will just follow them, carte blanche. It doesn't matter what they're saying. 
It doesn't matter whether there's truth or not. A, a pastor can be living in homosexual sin for 25 years, cheating on his wife for 25 years, lying to the church for 25 years, and people will still defend that man. There's something wrong there. Guys, there's something wrong because we let it get into our spirit and we care more about the person than what God's word is saying and what the truth is and what, what justice is and what righteousness is. Some point, some point, you got to look at it like Jesus says and, and say to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you're like, you're like whitewashed walls. It doesn't matter what you say from the pulpit. You're a whitewashed wall. Guys, it has to be about truth. And then, this is the part that gets me, is then we've got pastors that are speaking truth and been doing it for years, and they get pushed off to the side because they're not important. In, in whose world? In whose world are they not important? Not in Jesus' world. He, he's going to stand with the person that's speaking truth. He's going to stand with them. But that's not popular in today's society. Thank you for those. Those are important. So be on your guard. Not asleep like the others. Stay alert. Be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us live in the light. That, that, that's, that's huge. Let us who live in the light be clear-headed. Don't you think that's what we need right now in our country? Get in the light and get clear-headed. That, that's the biggest thing that's frustrating me. We had a little thing at our house the other day, and they asked 20-somethings, and we were talking about this, and this, this is the thing that got me the most. I said, my, my biggest frustration right now in life is so many people that I know that are Christians that are not thinking clearly. They're not clear-headed. Well, according to this, apparently they're not in the light like they're supposed to be. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that as a judgmental statement. I'm saying according to this Scripture, that's what's going on. Because if you're not clear-headed, why are you not clear-headed? Why does everybody else seem to see it, but some people can't? Start with the fear of the Lord. Start with the fear of the Lord. It says, get in the light, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. And this is the key to the rapture. Peter tells us the reason he's not coming back quickly, not Peter, but Jesus, Peter tells us Jesus is not coming back quickly because he is being patient. Why is he being patient? Because he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants to save us. That's why he died on the cross. He wants to save us. He doesn't want to judge us. He doesn't want to condemn us. He doesn't want us to go to hell. That's why he died on the cross, because he loves us. That's something I really couldn't get, I really couldn't understand as a kid. It took a long time for me to get this clear in my head. I used to lay in bed at night as an eight, nine-year-old kid and just pray and, and, and plead with Jesus. Jesus, if you come back tonight, please don't leave me here. Please don't, let, please don't uh, take everybody else and leave me. I was hoping at least my brother would stay with me. I don't <laughs> But I would pray that, Jesus, please, please don't. Now, here's the thing. I don't think that's a totally bad idea, but there's something wrong with an eight-year-old pleading with Jesus not to leave him on this earth. And I had a good relationship with Jesus as a kid. Very good. I love Jesus. 
But I was scared to death because I saw Jesus as this judgmental guy that is trying to catch us. This come as a thief in the night, I thought it was because he was trying to catch us at the wrong time. When I was a kid growing up in church, movies were bad, at least in our groups. If you were Baptist or Catholic, it didn't matter. But in our groups, it mattered. And if you went to a movie, you were going to go to hell. And I heard preachers many times in my lifetime say, you better not be sitting in that movie theater when Jesus comes back. I remember the first movie I went to was Bambi. I remember this. And my brother cried through the whole thing. Admit it. I remember going to the, because we went with my cousins. And I remember about halfway through that movie, it clicked in my head. We were in a movie theater. What if Jesus comes back? See, it wasn't about what was on the movie. It was about being in a movie theater. Because that kind of stuff is crazy. Jesus is not trying to catch you doing something wrong. He's not. Jesus specifically died on the cross so he could give you opportunity to do everything right. Just serve him. Just love him. Just chase after him. But you got to make up your mind. Am I more interested in what Jesus thinks? Am I more interested in what somebody else thinks? Because that's the key. That's where it all sets. If you're more interested in what Jesus says, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about your salvation. You're going to be fine. If you're pursuing him with your heart and you're passionate about Jesus, you're going to be fine. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do stuff. But if you're passionate about Jesus, you're going to repent of it because you don't want it between you and somebody that you love. That's how you know you're going to be all right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. See, if this, this is, I, again, I don't, I'm not sure if anybody in this room disagrees with the mentality of a rapture. I, nobody, nobody in this room has said that to me, okay? But if for some reason you don't, you, 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 this is stuff is pretty obvious. If you got, you got to change your thinking on it, okay? And you don't hear me say that very often, right? But, but this is too obvious. There is going to be a rapture. There is. You can't, you can't push that one away. When, you can debate. If, no. Okay? When the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live, for life, raised to life forever, and we who are living will, always, will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into die, to bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Now, why? This is just a simple thing. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Jesus designed us to live forever, and we were eating a fruit to keep us alive. It was called the fruit of life, and we were going to live forever because we were eating this fruit. That's why he kicked us out of the garden. He didn't kick us out of the garden as punishment for sin. The punishment for sin is you started dying. Sin came in. Evil came in. The lie began to start in your life. That was the punishment for sinning, and we brought that on ourselves. God didn't do that to us. We brought that on ourselves. The reason we got kicked out of the garden is because that's where the tree of life was, and he didn't want a bunch of dying, dead zombies walking around for thousands of years. He's smart that way. Some of you are like, man, this is solid. i got to write this stuff down. <laughs> the first thing is there is a rapture. The second thing here is uh, it's not the second coming. And let me, let me explain why this is important. 
Because we get confused with the second coming of Jesus and the rapture. Why is that important to me? Because I want us to be thinking about Jesus coming back to get those who are ready to go now, not assuming that there's going to be this long tribulation, all this other stuff that's going to happen, so that you can get everything ready then. See, this has been one of the lies I think that Satan has told many people. I bought into it for a long time. Specifically when you're younger, it's easy to buy into this. I've got plenty of life left. I'm going to sow my wild oats and do all this stuff, and then someday I'm going to live for Jesus. Anybody besides me ever thought something like that? Liars. You know you've thought that. But I did. I had that mentality because, well, I'll do whatever I want to do because i got plenty of time. And then it dawned on me one time, I don't have plenty of time. How do I know I have tomorrow? Well, I'm 20. I've got forever. No, I'm 25. I've got forever. You don't know. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And this is one of the reasons that I always give people an opportunity to get saved at a funeral. Because you're thinking about life and death. You're thinking about it. What better moment to say, hey, since there is such a thing as death, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about you? Then at the last, the sign, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. Now, this is important, okay? Um, let, me, let me stop right here, and I'm going to come back to uh, verse 31 in just a second. But let me jump down to Acts chapter 1. Because it's just talking about how he's coming on the clouds and he sends out the angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. Let me me go to Acts chapter 1, verse 9, and read this because this will kind of help us. This is at the ascension of Jesus. This is is 40 days after he had died, been resurrected, and, uh, and he's on the mountaintop and all the believers go up on the mountaintop there with Jesus. And then Jesus starts floating up into the clouds, okay? And it appears that he takes his time doing it. It doesn't seem like he does this quickly. And two angels are sitting there and all this stuff. So this is this moment, all right? And when he had said these things, Jesus, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. It doesn't say he disappeared. It says he went up, which kind of means he was taking his time. And, and I think that's important. It was, it was intentional. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Gradually going up and he's sitting in the clouds and then the clouds take him. Okay, now let's go back to Matthew because now he's describing this coming back moment that's going to look like um, uh, Acts, that, that moment in Acts. And also that same moment is Matthew chapter 24. I mean, uh, Luke chapter 24, you can go find it there too. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world. He is in the clouds. He is not standing on the earth, and he sends his angels out to gather everybody up that is serving him from all over the world. He is not standing on the earth. He is in the clouds like Acts chapter 1 said. Why is that important? Because this is not the second coming. The second coming, he stands on terra firma. You say, does he? Well, I don't know. Let's look in the scriptures. Okay, let me finish this first. Now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. Now, this, this is important when it comes to when. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you'll know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near right at the door. 
I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Now, I said this last week, and, uh, and quite a few different people in the church, including my daughter, came to me and said, you said something about 1948. Where are you getting 1948 from this? Now, this is not the only scripture, but this is one of the scriptures that talks about it, this uh, fig leaf budding and starting over and life beginning again. This is a reference to Israel being put, uh, Israel becoming a nation again. Okay? And it's all through the Old Testament where, where Israel, this is going to happen in Israel. And, it, it, and a few times it refers to this uh, fig leaf budding and those kind of things. And Jesus says when this fig leaf buds, now if you go back in the Old Testament, you know what he's talking about. Okay? He says when this fig leaf buds, uh, this generation won't pass away. This is what I was talking about in 1948. 1948, uh, Israel became a nation again. That generation will not die. Now, here's something that always has confused me over the years, and, and these guys just got it wrong, is they talk about how a generation is 40 years. Where'd you get that from? Where'd you get generation is 40 years? The Bible says that we live 70 to 80. That's the entire generation, not just how a generation starts to reproduce into the next generation, but how long is a generation alive, Scripture tells us, 70 to 80 years. 1948 to now is how long? Seventy-two. Seven. Oh, you scared me of that. I was like, that doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> yes, seventy-two years. Seventy-two years. So we're right in the middle of that window. Seven to eighty years. This is when Jesus is going to come back because that generation cannot get to eighty-one according to Scripture and still be considered that generation. Right? I mean, I'm kind of overstating that, but you understand what I'm saying. We're right in the window of that. So we already know we're in the season. Okay? All right, let's continue. I tell you the truth that the generation will not pass away from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. In other words, it doesn't matter what's happening on the planet. You pay attention to what God's word says. Don't look at the stuff. You look at Jesus. You look at his word. You pay attention to what he says, not the stuff. Everything else can go away. Jesus will always be right. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only Father knows. Again, we don't, we're not going to know the day or the hour. But he just got through telling us the season. And he says, and you're not going to be surprised. We read that earlier. Okay. Zechariah chapter 14. This is the second coming. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, not hovering in the clouds, not sending angels out to wrap us up and bring us in, but he literally steps down onto the earth. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north, and half will move toward the south. So not only does he step down on the mountain, but he does it superhero style. Right? And he doesn't do it with his hand down. like That, that is not Jesus. Jesus just lands like this. Boom, splits the mountain right in two. I mean, that's a pretty powerful step down on the earth moment. He splits a mountain and slides it to the side so the river can run the other direction, which is important for later. Okay. Now, here's, here's the part where it happens before the tribulation. I think I can, I'm just going to throw a few scriptures out. I think I've already proven some of that through the scriptures above, but let's look. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. He shall make a strong covenant 
with many for one week. This, okay, th- this uses the term one week here. This is where I, I, there's two things in here that I pick on the New Living. You guys know I believe in the New Living Translation. I believe it's the best one out there. ESV is pretty strong. There's just a bunch of them that are good, but I prefer the New Living. They get this wrong here. They use the term weak. But Daniel, in the, in the King James in the Old Testament, it uses the term um, sevens, 77s. How do we know that? Because the, 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 the time frame of these 77s that we see spelled out through Scripture adds up to that many years. Okay? So we know that these sevens are years, they're not weeks. But, the, but it's not wrong to translate weeks. It's just not the right way to translate this, okay? He shall make a covenant for me, with many for one sevens, is what he's saying. And for half of the sevens, he shall put an end to the sacrifice and the offering. On the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, that's, that's an interesting way to term it. But he's saying this, this time frame is going to be a seven time frame. It's going to be seven years. And half of this, this, um, this perpetrator that he's saw, I'm pulling this right out of a bunch of scripture you have to read. From Daniel 9 all the way through um, 13, you need to read all that. It's all about this, okay? Every bit of it's about this. It's just too, too much to read today, all right? But go home and read it. Um, it talks about all this stuff. <clears throat> all right, now let's jump down to chapter 12. Okay, I know I'm, I'm, I'm jumping here. I'm just trying to establish this stuff, okay? Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charge over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen, there, uh, never, been, have never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people will be delivered. Everyone's, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. You're going to be delivered from this time frame. These, this is the this is that that scratching in your brain. That's that hint that says I'm going to be delivered from what? <clears throat> what am I going to be delivered from? We're well, going to be delivered from this time of seven, this seven years. You're going to be delivered from that seven years. And I've had some theologians say, well, this is just the church's way to think that they're going to get out of the tribulation. It's escapism. Well, first, I'm okay with escapism. But secondly, I don't think that I just created that. I think the Scripture's telling me that right here. Okay, let's look at it again. There will be a time of trouble that has never existed until now. Never. But at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, you're going to be delivered from this. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. During this being delivered time, some of the dead people were going to be awaking. Where have we read that recently? right? Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, this is, okay, this is, this is verse 11. I, again, I'm jumping around. You have to read verse 1 through 10 as he leads into this, but this is now the, the halfway through the tribulation. That's why I'm jumping to this. And from that time, the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up and there shall be 1,290 days. From the beginning of this sevens until 1,290 days later, this guy doesn't do anything. At that 1,290-day mark, this guy desolates or desecrates 
uh, what's called the abomination of desecration or desolation. That's when he does this, okay? Um, again, the burnt offering is taken away, and see, see, that's part of the thing, is when this burnt offering is taken away, that's part of how he desolates or desecrates the temple. The, the normal burnt offering that is being offered, he takes it away, and he does something to desecrate the temple. Now, the uh, Left Behind series, it was popular 20 years ago. I don't know if it was that long, but it seems like it. Left Behind uh, with Tim LaHaye, Jerry, and Jenkins. You guys remember that? It was going to be seven books, and it became very popular, so it was like 32 when they finished. But they, they were very solid about a lot of stuff. In fact, I think they were, they were extremely theologically accurate from the beginning to the end of this. There was a couple things that I struggled with, um, which are not for today, but one of the things that they said, we don't know what the abomination of, of desolation is. We do not know because Scripture never tells us. But it has to do with the temple, and it has to do with him declaring himself God, and it has to do with the burnt offerings taken away. So in the books, they said he sacrifices a pig on the, offer, on the altar. That's what happens in the book. When I read that the first time, I was like, that's pretty legit. That could be it. Now, we don't know, all right? We, we literally don't know, but that was a good guess because it involves all those elements. But at that 1290-day mark, the Antichrist declares himself to be God. God, okay? Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335 days later. So 1290 days, and then another 1290 days plus a month and a half. We don't know for sure why the month and a half. There's going to be a reason that will make, be obvious then, but we don't know for sure exactly why that month and a half extra on the second half. But 1,290 days, 1,335 days, put that in your calculator right now. How many years is that? 1,290 times two, three and a half, seven. Good job. Good job, Cookie. You got the first half. It was three and a half and, and another three and a half. So... Um, 1290, 1335, that's seven years. Some people say, well, we don't know how long the tribulation is. We know to the day, to the very day, to the day. We also know when the Antichrist takes over and becomes God. He's already in control. He's already in charge because he's the one sitting there 1290 days earlier signing the peace treaty that starts the tribulation. He starts the tribulation by signing the peace treaty. 1290 days later, he then declares himself to be God. Okay, now why am I saying that? Because we do know, I believe strongly, that the rapture happens before the tribulation. When? Before. We don't know how long before. Six months, a year, five years, we don't know. Now, I believe it's going to be fairly close, like six months or so, because I believe the events of the rapture set up all of the events for the tribulation to happen. Why would, why would, all the worlds be against Israel and, and the Antichrist broker a peace treaty between Israel and the rest of the world when right now we would come to their rescue. They wouldn't have to sign a peace treaty with the Antichrist. America would come to the rescue. Unless America has been so disabled by the rapture that they're not available. Right? Okay. Second Thessalonians, I'll end with this. Verse 1. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. He says, first, don't get nervous about it and don't believe everything that's coming down the pipe. Let no one deceive you in any way. 
For that day will come, unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. So all the stuff we're seeing now has to happen. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple. This is the three-and-a-half-year mark. When he takes his seat in the temple, he declares himself, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. You already know. This is interesting to me because he's telling them, I already told you what's keeping the Antichrist from being revealed. Okay? We just don't know what it is. So let's look because he tells us. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, who now re- only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. That's a very important sentence. It's not big letter he, big H. See, the popular teaching when I was growing up, Jimmy Swaggart kind of was the leader of the eschatological thought processes for uh, uh, the Assemblies of God, most Pentecostal groups for years. Okay, And he taught that... When the church is raptured, the Holy Spirit goes with the church, leaves this earth, goes with the church, and um, is because the Holy Spirit is the he who is holding back the lawlessness one or the Antichrist. That's what, that was the belief for years and years, and I heard it taught all the time. And then one day, it dawned on me, that cannot be true. Why? Because we know there are people that get saved during the tribulation. What about all the martyrs that are martyred in the tribulation because of Jesus? You say, well, they were saved before the tribulation. Well, why didn't they get raptured? That's why I believe people say, well, then the rapture didn't happen first. That's, that's end round. You can't do it that way. These people died during the tribulation because they got saved during the tribulation. Why? Because the Holy Spirit hadn't gone anywhere. Holy Spirit's still here, and, he's, and it's not a big letter H. He Now, look, at here's another reason why I believe this. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. I, I looked that sentence up in the Greek, and it actually says, until he is pulled out of the way or taken out of the way. You tell me who's going to pull the Holy Spirit out of something. Take the Holy Spirit out of something. No, it's, it's when this is taken or pulled out. Well, who's going to be pulled out? The church. The church is what's keeping the Antichrist from being here now. And it just makes sense. What's keeping uh, all of the perversion, the abortion, and everything else just from destroying our country right now? The church. See, this is why when pastors say, well, we don't get caught up in politics, I just want to kick them. You are the reason. The church getting involved in politics is the reason that the Antichrist is being held back right now. You are the only reason. Church, get involved. Now, I don't care about the others. You know, a school's going to start a bond issue. So what? Vote what you want. But when it comes to things that are, by the way, not political, and abortion is not political, it's murder. That's not political. We've got to get involved. We're keeping the Antichrist at bay. We're keeping him at bay. So when he's taken out of the way, then the lawlessness, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. Just his breath kills the Antichrist. And bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Because they, and this is the key, 
because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. When you refuse to love the truth, you are condemning yourself. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Why has God sent them a strong delusion? Because they're begging for it. They're rejecting truth. Guys, is there any term that describes our country right now than a strong delusion? And so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I want to end with this. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is encouragement. So it's kind of scary, but it's encouragement because Jesus wins. What's scary is being caught in the middle of Portland at midnight. That's scary. Being caught in the middle of Minneapolis, that's scary. But knowing that Jesus is coming to get us, that is not scary. Encourage each other with this. Stand with me, if you will. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Lord, I do, I do not want to be caught up in the delusion. I don't want to be caught up in the lie. I don't want to be caught up in the stuff. Jesus, I need you. I need your truth. I need your amazingness. I need your majesty. I need your forgiveness. I need your righteousness. Lord, and I pray... I pray that we, that, we, that we speak against, that we live against fear. That I belong to the king. I serve one king and his name is Jesus. I don't serve the world. I don't serve people. I serve Jesus. Lord, I pray that just all across this. Lord, I pray that into our minds and our spirits. If anybody's struggling with this, Lord, I, I, I pray this into their spirit right now. Help them to see. You love them. You died for them, Jesus. You are coming back to rescue them. Every one of us, you're coming back to rescue us. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. I want to pray this with us. I can't speak about this and not give us a chance to just give our heart to Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. You say, I need Jesus. I just need Jesus to be God over me. I, I want to go. When he takes the, when he raptures the living, I want to go. If I'm already dead, I want, I want to bust out of that grave because I belong to Jesus. Nothing else will get you there, but I belong to Jesus. You say, I need Jesus. And, and, and this may be the first time you've ever made this decision. You may have made this before, but you say, Right now, I don't belong to him, but I need to belong to Jesus. I'd like you to raise your hand. Yeah. Okay. Wait a second. It seems to be quite a few of us. All right. All right. For you that raised your hands, do the best you can. This is just a moment for you to say, Jesus, I need you. Do the best you can to make this your personal prayer. But every one of us in here, let's pray this prayer together. And if you're sitting there about halfway through this prayer and you realize, wait a second, this is good. I need to make this right. Let that get into your spirit. But every one of us in this building, let's pray this together. Repeat this with me. Dear God, I need you more than anything. I want you to be God over my life, in charge of me. I ask you to forgive me 
of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. And I want to spend the rest of my life pleasing you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God, we thank you. Just wash us with the blood of Jesus. God, we thank you. Just cover us with your blood. Let it wash down through our mind, our spirit. Cover every inch of our existence. Let your blood. In Jesus' name. God, and I pray for our country. I pray for our country, our world, specifically our country, Lord. We are we're so blind. We're so blind. Lord, you are so amazing. You're so righteous. And you have the ability to put that salve on our eyes and open our eyes. Lord, you told us you would do it. So, Lord, I pray for our country. I pray for every one of us here. Help us to walk with this as an encouragement, boldness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Every week, I pray for you that God will give you a chance to tell somebody about him. He will give you a chance, I promise. He gave me two chances this week. Let me tell you about some of those in the future. Just talk to somebody. Just talk to them. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity. Let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell them how amazing he is, how much he loves them, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. Apologize for going long, sort of. Sort of apologize. Uh, We will see you Wednesday night. Shake somebody's hand, hug their neck. Tell them how glad you are that they are here. And do the best you can to make it truthful. We'll see you then.